Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always... Connor Rebush. We're here uh-huh. once again. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say my name? <laughs> you go back to sleep. I'll need you in about five minutes. Okay, all right. Okay. <clears throat> We're here to talk about this week's UFC card going down at the, I knew just a second ago, going down at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, it's one of those things like it should have been in Mexico City because it's like this whole Mexican independence Noche UFC it's, it's, ha- it's half-assed in a number of ways and that it is not in Mexico. Yeah. And also it only has like four Mexican fighters on it. Well, you, well like ha- three three quarters of the card has canceled. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Which we, we've talked about. That just keeps keeps happening and their placements keep getting worse. But Yeah. But uh, anyway, we uh yeah we have this Noche UFC card and a title fight re- a, a title fight that's not on a pay per view for the first time for the UFC since I think 2019. I love that and the card it, still is not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not good. Uh, it really really misses. Yeah. A Chris Curtis Anthony Hernandez. Yes. That was a great fight. And Shavkat Rachmanov versus Kelvin Gastelum. Yes. Absolutely. Those, those were both great fights. That I the addition of just one of those would make a huge difference. Yep. Uh, but we said that really about last week's pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Miss, missing cop, uh, Car of France. And, um, and this one is l- less hurt by those, by, by, the, by the loss of these fights than that one was by that. It has yeah. at least a couple of, uh, quite a few compelling lower-ranked sort of matchups sprinkled mm-hmm. throughout and at least for the moment and frankly they haven't found replacements as far as i know for a couple of these people who are still tend uh, tentatively on the card i hope they don't because it's 10 fights long yeah i don't think no it's 11 at the moment they added uh you're over on topology oh right. Right, right right Char- right charlie campbell alex reyes right uh but now i can't imagine that anybody's going to be fighting Shavka Rachmanov on like four days notice at this point because Kelvin Gastelum was out of that fight a while ago. Yeah. And so I think that's just done. And then Santiago Ponzinibbio, Daniel Rodriguez beat the other one, but Daniel Rodriguez has been out of that one for a minute too. And yeah, I mean the obvious fight to make there would have just been like Ponzinibbio Rachmanov. You've got two welterweights looking who needed an opponent, but sure. It would have been brutal matchmaking, but yeah, it would have been brutal, but yeah. But if that, if that fight hadn't, didn't leap to fruition, I can't imagine finding two other random no. welterweights for that fight. But Hey, you know what? There's still some other stuff on here. A title fight at the top and only 11 fights long. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I like I, it's good to see the UFC at least 
having to get a little creative and put a title fight back on on TV. Like, I want one or two of these a year. I I don't want the endless stream of fight nights that have name fighters at the top, but, like, that's it. No stakes, no real, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, give me something. We want good fights, folks. That's all we want. What is the what is this noche thing by the way? It's it's Mexican Independence Day. Oh okay. Is is that called? Isn't noche night? But I you know what I'm already out of my depth. Like I'm Buenos looking, Noche. Good evening. Uh, yeah right? yeah I I believe you're correct. Uh, so I would say it's you know like UFC night fight night is I think the idea. Oh okay. But they're just it's it's Noche UFC. Okay, all right, I get it now. I get it. Yeah, right. and uh, it's yeah supposed to be like uh, the Mexican Independence Day card, which would have been a great idea to put in Mexico, but you know they didn't think that far ahead. Yeah, why isn't it called Pelea Noche then? You know what? <laughs> why is it just night? <laughs> Aren't they called fight nights? I I don't know. I don't. I'm not familiar with uh, Mexican TV broadcast standards, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All I know is this one is Noche UFC. That is what we got, yeah. and it probably. I'm going to assume it probably makes a reasonable amount of sense. Sure. No, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So it's headlined by this title fight rematch, Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko. And uh, this is is kind of a weird fight. It is, despite the, the very two distinct dynamics of the first fight, it still remains very hard to call. 100%, yeah. Because obviously on, on the surface, you've got Alexa Grasso won the last fight, so your your baseline easy read is like, oh, she's gonna win. You know, she's gonna win again. She beat her already. We just saw it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she also got took de- taken down a lot and yep. didn't win much in the way around from that fight. Yep. Also, constantly cleanly outboxed Valentina Shevchenko in the pocket. All in the, the pocket, but then also in the round where she definitively won the fight, she was kind of getting outboxed from range. Yeah. She, Grasso, you Shevchenko was, you mean? <laughs> Valentina found her jab. No, yeah, uh, Grasso Valentina, was. Yeah, yeah Valentina Grasso found was, her yeah. jab, and suddenly she, uh, Grasso's uh, entries just weren't working that well for her anymore. She capitalized beautifully on the thing she had obviously prepared for, the spin from Valentina, but um, <clears throat> she was kind of getting... Yeah, it was pushed out of the fight on the feet a little bit as it went on. So close across the board, I would say. Yeah, very close across the board. Uh, tough to call. I'm going to hand it over to you to. to, to oh, is it me? Yeah, to make Sorry, your pick. So I've survived a coughing fit. So, yeah, I told you I'd need you in like five minutes. And so that's <laughs> now. Should have spared my voice until it was really necessary. Right. I had so many valuable insights. Um, uh, especially that thing about Noche. Remember that? Yeah, no, I, I, I we spent I was, a while talking about that. While, remember? Yeah, yeah, you it was a recap? good one, man. You want to recap uh, that for the? We'll, we'll we'll do we'll put a flashback in here. 
<laughs> just rewind three minutes and play it all again. <laughs> That'd be good. That's a good podcast, it, and folks. It was two or three minutes ago. <laughs> I first like it was yesterday. Um. So yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, this is not easy to call. It was. This is not. Uh, this is not the possibility of which I'm. I'm pleased to see they're already walking back. Where they were like, "Oh, Adesanya's going to rematch Strickland." Yeah. Yeah. Right away, obviously, it's like, no, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. It didn't look good, and it was pretty damn one-sided, and yeah, not I like mean, he's been crushing all of his competition anyway lately. So, like, yeah, give him some time off for this. Yeah. Shevchenko, this literally was the first loss that ended her incredibly dominant title reign. Yep. And the fight itself was nowhere near one-sided. No. So I'm perfectly happy with them giving her a rematch. And um, as solid as I think... I can't believe you're happy with the Shevchenko title fight. but You know yeah. what? At this point, I, I've... I've had so many, it's been such a long time hating Valentina that I, I, I can hardly muster the energy to really hate her anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost, it's morphed into a begrudging respect as did my relationship with Michael Bisping. You, you finally checked out the feet pics, huh? Well, <laughs> have you seen that Bisping's feet? <laughs> oh, you have Valentina. No, I still haven't seen those. Uh, I'm saving those for a rainy day. They're in a secret folder on my computer, but I haven't looked yet. But no, I mean, um, to, to truth be told, like, uh, I, I have seen Valentina as she's getting older pushed in a lot of her recent fights, which just makes it a lot easier for me to like her. You yeah. Know, nobody yeah. likes perfection, uh, especially boring perfection. That's why I love you. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, She's uh god, god damn it, Zane. What was I even saying? Nobody likes perfection. Your Shevchenko is growing on you. Yeah, basically. Like she's she's been growing on me for some time. And um so I'm not even annoyed to have her yeah. back. And uh that's besides the fact that I'm happy to see it rematched because again, the I, I don't think the matchup was all that definitive. Like I think this is definitely one where a couple of very small adjustments could make the difference for either woman, really. But yeah, I almost I mean, feel if Shevchenko doesn't spin, does she just win the fight? Right. Like, I think she was starting to win it on the feet pretty handily by that point. So, um, and, and really, I think uh, the thing that threw her off most, I suspect, and certainly threw me off as well, is that um, Alexa Grasso came in and fought the fight completely southpaw. Mm. I think she went orthodox like three times for like two seconds. She was southpaw the entire time, um, which I'm sure Valentina did not expect. It's the first time I've ever seen Grasso do that. I mean, she switched before. Yeah. But never, like, just had that be her default stance for an entire fight. Not that I can recall. And so, like, for example, that's a thing that, say, Valentina just has southpaw sparring partners this time. Mm -hmm. Does she just not take so long to get going? Does she find her jab sooner? Does she have an easier time countering and defending the otherwise pretty straightforward combinations that Grasso was throwing at her? Um, you know, and then there's the, uh, like, I, I, basically, I watched that and I was very impressed with Grasso, but anytime I look at this matchup, I sort of trend towards picking Valentina to get it back. Um, yeah. Because I, I think 
that 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 jab once she discovered it you know her her usual counters weren't working that well she tried her little counter right hook the one she caught holly home with who i think is probably the last dedicated southpaw she fought and just a much worse boxer <laughs> than yeah. alexa grasso she tr- she was trying that early and she got clipped hard in round one trying to throw it and then it kind of fell out of her game but then she started to find it again off of the jab she started adjusting and getting more comfortable the more she had seen of Grosso. And all of this, uh, these adjustments followed the obvious tactic, which is that she had no difficulty whatsoever taking Grosso down. Yeah, the strength really become the strength difference between them really became apparent whenever and, they would get into prolonged clinch exchanges. And literally just the wrestling difference. Yeah. Like Grosso did, and probably this is why her her striking started to fall off. She started sniffing out the entries mm-hmm. she did, as the, yeah as the fight wore on, and she started stuffing the takedowns, but she was stuffing them by seeing them coming and killing them before they could really be be engaged because every time that Shevchenko actually managed to get her arms around Grosso, Grosso's wrestling not just her physical strength but her wrestling technique is not there, yeah. Like once you get in on like a single leg on Grosso, she's she's not doing the right thing. She's not smashing the head down. She is not immediately grabbing her whizzer or digging for an underhook or whatever. Double legs. She's just falling over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I just feel like there's a lot to work with from Valentina, and maybe we're looking at sort of a a much higher level version of like a Pena Nunes situation. Yeah, could be. Where Valentina really just got surprised by a couple of things early. And the difficulty in picking her confidently is not knowing how good of a rematch fighter she really is ever. It's true. Because the only rematch she's had against, at least against somebody she's lost to, was Nunes. Yeah, and she just stared at her the whole time. Yeah, a fight where she should have been coming brimming with confidence, being like, man, based on what happened last time, she's going to be gassed in round three, and then I'm going to have two extra rounds to work. I'm going to beat her. She did also uh, beat Liz Carmouche after losing to Liz Carmouche, but that was almost a decade between fights. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Valentina probably didn't know how to wrestle the first time she fought Liz Carmouche and probably yeah. got out muscled. Just a guess. Haven't seen it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how capable Valentina is of adjusting. Like, she's basically the same woman every single fight. Yeah, I mean, there is. Honestly, it has to be asked. Could Valentina Shevchenko have a stand-up round or a, sta- a fight, a fight, standing for multiple rounds where she doesn't spin. <laughs> like she I, just, I mean, where she just won't. Like she should. It's not like it ever really works that well. It never works, but she always does it. You know, it's just one of those things that is baked into her game. I it's think also, she might have caught. I think she might have caught home with that back fist. I think that might have been the last time it worked. <laughs> yeah. It's also worth wondering, too. I mean, one of the big things that was a problem for Shevchenko early in this fight, and as you say, she found her jab, and it started to change uh, 
the picture as time went on, but it is a it, it has been a constant problem. Is that and we've talked about it a ton, is that Shevchenko has never been comfortable boxing in the pocket. It is no. not where she wants to be. It is not what she likes to do. She always wants to either jump in with her own hard strikes and clinch immediately, like a one-two and clinch, or she wants to pop a counter and hop way back outside. Yeah, it's all the way in, all the way out is the Shevchenko way. Yeah. And so, you know, if Grasso is insistent on keeping the pocket in the way she was, is... You know, she might still find a lot of success she had the first time around. Because there have just been very few fighters who have the foot speed Grasso does when facing Shevchenko and have the ability technically to get inside on her and throw multiple punches. Yeah. And and also, I mean, part of why it was such a strong performance from Grasso is that her her pressure was a lot more um nuanced than it has been in the past she did a lot of i mean i I remember specifically criticizing her for like almost never fainting Mm -hmm. and she did a lot of that in this yeah she was pressing forward she was fainting um it it added in like a crucial element of uh deception to the arsenal of a fighter who is often very rhythmically one note yeah um you you know you kind of go back to to like you go all the way to that uh, the last time Shevchenko has faced somebody who had both like hand and foot speed and a willingness to throw more than one or two strikes at a time, and you're pretty much having to go back to Joanna and Jacek, mm-hmm. and that is a fight where Shevchenko physically dominated, um, but. By the end of that fight, Yanjechik was the one was doing pretty good, honestly. Like mm-hmm. people forget about it because they feel like, oh, I remember, I remember uh, Shevchenko just throwing Joanna around is kind of the the lasting impression of that fight. Mm-hmm. But you know, by the the over the last two rounds of it, they were just going strike for strike, mm-hmm. and you know even. It wasn't, you know, a lot of them weren't significant strikes, but Joanna outlanded Shevchenko 48 to 25 in the last round. Mm-hmm. So even even with, you know, Shevchenko starting to find success with her jab, if she can't hold Grasso down long enough every round to just positionally dominate her to a win... Mm-hmm. Who's to say that she can just deal with somebody repeatedly trying to get inside on her and throw at a pretty decent clip? Well, I mean, the thing is, <clears throat> I mean, if you want to you talk about stats, round three of Shevchenko Grasso, 27 to 15. Yeah. Round four, 22 to 13. So finding that jab... Yeah, true. It it really did. <laughs> really made it a lot harder for Grasso to force her way. Like the thing is, yeah. most people aren't Joanna. No. Joanna knew she was losing that fight and she was like, fuck it. I'm I'm stepping in and just creating exchanges and I'm not you gotta knock me out. Like I'm 
I'm going to stay in there and try to beat you. And that's why she went, uh, you know, strike for strike or even exceeded Valentina. Like, can Grosso actually successfully force the pocket? Yeah. If Shevchenko knows what to expect and has the right, the right answers, plus the fact that Grosso is uh, just much easier to take down when she overextends or whatever, then you want to. Yeah. Like, you, you, she had the strength. Ad- yeah. Huh? Yeah, she oh. had the strength advantage over Ioana, but Ioana is certainly a better defensive wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be another... It'd be great to have see another sort of, like, upgrade for Grosso. It'd be great to see her just, like, brimming with confidence, doing exactly what she did last time, and just sort of insisting on it for longer. And, and maybe she's worked on her wrestling or something, but <clears throat> to me, it really feels like uh, Shevchenko does have the easy out she wants to spare her from the stress of too many pocket exchanges, which is the wrestling Uh, again, the, the uptick in or the, the shift in volume uh, connected strikes on the feet happens about halfway through, which is when Shevchenko finds her jab, but also when Grosso stops getting taken down quite so easily. Yeah. And I think that the two are interlinked, right? Yeah. Shevchenko found a thing to stick her at range, but also Grosso had to stay at range more because she was getting taken down by overextending in close. Mm-hmm. It was it was more just not being in position to get hit with a clean shot. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm fe- I'm feeling Valentina here. I, I don't think she's 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 getting older, you know. I I don't know if she's a super adaptable fighter, but. I think really she just kind of needs the sort of nascent adaptations you would pick up in a training camp against a bunch of fellow Southpaws. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I mean, my jab's yeah. going to be sharp from the beginning. Yeah. And also just don't spin. And just don't spin. Just don't spin. You know what? She probably even could spin. Like as, as wonderful as that was and how, you know, like how quickly she pulled the trigger, but like how reproducible is that? I mean, if grass has been, she said, you know, she was training it constantly. Sure. And Shevchenko I mean does it. It do, it doesn't necessarily make it a hundred percent you know, replicable. But yeah, being able to just get your arms around, clinch somebody up while they're spinning, yeah. definitely seems like a very replicable result. Yeah. Not saying choking her out is replicable, but spins are stupid. Fighters should stop spinning in general. Yeah, it's stupid. Ah, uh, man, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel it's it's within reach, and it is very within reach for Valentina. And I and I do think that without that submission, she would have. I think she would have picked up the decision. Yeah, yeah, she would have won. Oh, I don't know. I want to. I, I really like the work that Grasso can do boxing inside with Shevchenko, making her un- more uncomfortable than anyone has made her. Yeah, me too. Punching inside, maybe ever. Honestly, like I don't know that Shevchenko has ever faced a fighter who would throw more than who wanted to throw more than two strikes at a time mm-hmm. and had the foot speed to get inside to do it. Like. You know, Amanda Nunes doesn't want to throw more than two strikes at a at a time. No, 
Holly Holm has her blitzes, but they are straight line. You 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 take a side step and she's running past you. Yeah, kind of and thing. they are almost literally telegraphed. And they're yeah, <laughs> they are sent by wire. Pony Express. She, she Pony Expresses them. <laughs> Pony Express and the horse is like one mile from the next change. Yeah, so it's a really tired horse. Yeah, and yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at like you know Jennifer Maya. Sure, she's got some good combos. She does not have any foot speed. Same with Lauren Murphy. Tyler Santos is a very one at a time kind of striker. Yeah, just. Jessica Andrade's footwork is a mess. It's very chasing. Chukagian is, you know, she's only recently kind of learned to sit down on more stuff inside. She certainly didn't know how to in that fight or have the Mm -hmm. confidence to do it. Not Carmouche, not I, not Cachoeira, not Juliana Pena or Sarah Kaufman or Jan Finney. Like, Mm -hmm. There is a specific matchup that Grasso provides that yeah. Shevchenko, you know, we not having now seen it, I realize Shevchenko was not that well prepared for it. Yeah. It's a challenge that, like you said, basically nobody but Joanna yeah. uh, provides for her. And I think Grasso is a bigger hitter than Joanna. Oh, yeah. Unquestionably. Joanna is Doesn't not knock a lot of people out, but she's got no. a respectable power in her hands. Yep. So, you know, there it is. It, part of me wants to lean Grasso and just be like, she can hurt Shevchenko in ways that keep her competitive in rounds where we're looking at scoring damage, you yeah. know? But the takedowns are right there. And they were just Grasso, so easy. They were so easy. Grasso's instincts for them are not good. No. That's another area, too, where I'm confident Valentina could expand in her success. She could be a little meaner on the ground. Oh, she could have always been meaner on the ground. That's but there the- are fights where she is. She she, yeah. she was not very active at all. I, I think, honestly, like the Santos fight or maybe even the Maya fight has sort of put a little bit of a hitch in Shevchenko's ground game and making her feel like she needs to try to be more controlling as a could, priority. Could, could be. I think it was it was also that in, in this fight, I, I would guess those takedowns in, in the early going really felt like a reprieve. Yeah, that she too. could just chill and be like, okay, I'm safe for now. This is not super uncomfortable because she was very uncomfortable through the first two rounds of that fight. Yeah, I, no question. Grasso was really getting to her, even even if she wasn't like cleanly outlanding her every round. You could see it that Valentina yeah. doesn't like that distance. She doesn't like that pressure. She really, really wanted to take her down just to stop her from it's, putting pressure on her. It's always been anathema to her game, but that was the clearest example. It was, yeah. it was, not, it was validating to see something that we had talked about so much, but yeah. you can't really, people can't picture it because you're talking about it, and you're talking about it in respect to somebody like Caitlin Chukagian, yeah, who shows up and gets like one one whiff of a missed Valentina wheel kick. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna hang out ten feet outside, mm-hmm. and we'll just we'll just have the fight there. That's fine. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Do it doing like a young Frankenstein routine. 
Yeah. She, like, tells her corner no matter what she says not to let her out of the cage. Exactly, exactly. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Gr- Grosso absolutely made Valentina uncomfortable. But... Yeah. I don't know. I'll. You know what? I'll stick with you and pick Valentina. You're picking Val, too? I don't like it, but... I mean, pick Grosso if you want. It's not like Grosso comes in just super confident and having just shored up a couple little things. Who's to say? She yeah. she did make Valentina pretty miserable for seven minutes. Yeah. Uh, and she did finish her. And there's pretty much there have been like almost no title fights ever where the champion has lost the belt and then come right back immediately to win it again. Adesanya. <laughs> yeah, it's Adesanya. He just did it. He yeah, did. it's not very common. Uh I'll take Shevchenko. I'll I I I was it, it the Grasso fight was still a shock and it still didn't feel like a fight. She was winning. Yeah. Even though she was doing shockingly well right up to the point that, you know. Yeah. She won it. It was just sort of a yeah, on the on the one hand, you could say it's concerning that immediately after the fact, Valentina was like fluke, basically. Yeah, she was like she. Was, I mean, she wasn't disrespectful to Grasso, as I recall, but she was like she was very oh, much like that shouldn't have happened. I got caught. Is is yeah. was her perspective? But you know, like the this most recent time rewatching it, I was like, she kind of has a point. No, she does. She, she did kind of just get caught. Like the credit to Grasso for catching her and knowing exactly how to do it, but. Um, yeah. it, I think she was starting to pull away with the to pull it, it away is exactly the, the the danger of being champion was yeah. was displayed firmly in that fight. Yeah, which is that every other gym in the world has been working for five years to figure out everything right. Valentina Shevchenko does and how to beat it. Yeah, you know, they, enough they, of the they, sample they, size that an AI could figure out, Chat GPT could figure out how to game plan against you. Yeah, Alexa Grasso has spent a year watching and being like, oh, every time she spins, I need to jump on her. Yeah. And, and training in, you know, relentlessly. Okay, you, a, if somebody spins, jump on them, because that's how I'm going to beat Valentina Shevchenko. Yep. You know? Just triggers, building up those that muscle memory. Yep. So I'll, I'll side with you, and, and you know what? Eh, fuck it for the hell of it. I'll That's just go right. with I'll go with Grasso. I'll That's take the right. champ to retain. Just because she has been training for Shevchenko for so long and she did make her so uncomfortable. And there are mistakes that I the thing is that I don't know how much Shevchenko can change up her approach, you know? Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I completely agree her, with that. Her style her style has always seemed very baked into her. Yeah. The only reason I'm picking her is that I think the the changes aren't really transformative in any yeah. way. Yeah. That they no. are largely things she did discover over the course of the fight. It's true. Um, I'm very prepared to look to look foolish on fight night when I, you know, go in and make my hey everybody I'm picking Grasso to retain and yada yada yada. <laughs> cool. Anyway, fun when we disagree, so I'll take it. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Grasso opened at plus 188, currently plus 141. Shevchenko opened at minus 214, is currently at minus 157. 
All right. That brings us to a welterweight fight. Kevin Holland, Jack Della Maddalena. And I would have loved this fight a lot more if it hadn't been for that Hafez fight. Hmm. You would have liked it more. I would have been. I would have been more confident picking it. I I I I, I would have liked it and been more confident about it. Um. Be, mostly too because just that was such a brutal fight. Yeah. And for Madalena to just be, it, it was a brutal fight that should have had a lot of teaching moments for Jack Della Madalena. It feels yeah. like. And for him to just turn right around and jump right into a bigger, harder fight feels like like I say, I, I would have I would have enjoyed it more if that half as fight hadn't happened or if maybe even if this was just pushed out another two or three months, you know? Yeah. Cause at the moment I feel like Jack I feel like Della Madeleine is kind of running him, going to run himself headlong into a into losing a fight he could win. Hundred percent. He almost already did it. Yeah, he almost already did it, and that fight really just showed, um, you know how how much it is baked into Madeleine's nature that he will always accept the brawl. Yeah, there are better fights that he can have. But they're not fights he's very interested in. I mean, you know, he he watched he watched a ton of Robbie Lawler tape and walked away with like some of the worst of it, which is still really good. Sure. But like is also some of Robbie Lawler's worst instincts, you know? Yeah, he's also guillotines included. He he's a yes. lot like an earlier phase Dustin Poirier, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the big things, obviously, that was notable with Hafez, the Hafez fight is that while Madalena has a jab and can set up his entries behind his jab, it's very clear that he sees his jab as a secondary or tertiary tool mm-hmm. to initiating the fight he wants to have. There's no interest in Madalena in being like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to keep range with my jab and set up single strikes, you know, set up opportunities to pick someone off. Or, you know, it's Hafez. Like he just had a Hafez purely outgunned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No question. And you're not asking for him because I'm with you. You're, I, 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 and provided we agree, like the, the idea is not for him to go in there against a guy like Hafez. And be an outfighter. No. The idea is to keep the pressure, but to pressure behind the jab. Like, do do what he's comfortable doing more methodically. Yeah. My, the, the thing is to look at, like, what Ilya Tapuria did to... That is exactly the, yeah, exactly the comparison. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you really, you know, you maintained the edge of the pocket with your range tools. You initiated your bigger harder strikes on your terms. Yeah. And then you pushed back and reset the edge of the pocket on your terms. And his corner was pleading with him to do it against Tafas. Yeah. They were like, Jack, use your range. They were screaming at him again and again. I, I think the, 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 the thing with that matchup is 
it's it's fairly clear to me that a, a lot of what went wrong was Madalena having little to no idea what to expect, as as did yeah. all of us, sure. having basically no idea what to expect from Basil Hafez and no time to prepare at all. That that could be it. It could also it, just be too that he was having so much success that it's impossible for him to turn down the success. It, the thing is, he wasn't having that much. I mean, almost the first thing that happens in the fight is he gets taken down. Yeah. But, I mean, whenever he was actually, like, it, it, I, you know, I think there could be some some of the uh, the Robert, you know, the past Robert Whitaker. He's much less this guy now. But uh, past versions of Robert Whitaker in, in Della Maddalena, where it's not even necessarily that he has to be winning, you know, to be landing the shots or to not to not be getting any pushback or whatever. But it's just that the the openings and the opportunities are so obvious. Yeah. Against Topaz, he's just like, I can't, I'm, I can't pass this up. I am going to chase this pocket. I'm going to chase this man relentlessly because I can see every shot I want to land. Yeah. But he, he has been less boneheadedly aggressive even in fights that he finished quite early he has not I, I i think yeah he felt like he just got sucked into a fight where he felt like this guy's having more success than i want i have to destroy him mm. even more than usual just could not turn down any exchanges like yeah i think he felt an overwhelming need to break hafez and to punish him for making him uncomfortable and making the fight hard he was like it was like an animal instinct kind of thing. Yeah. My, and it, it speaks to Della Maddalena's true nature, which is that of a, a brawler. Yep. When in and doubt, swang and bang. The the thing that makes me worry that with Kevin Holland is Holland has always been able to uh, make peace, make that kind of fight happen and make peace with it. You know? It might be that Madalena is technical enough to just make Holland really pay for it. Yeah. But the kind of fights that Holland struggles really badly with are fights where he either, you know, gets out grappled or a fight like the Stephen Thompson fight where somebody can do to, to Holland better what he wants to do to them, which is to just sort of set a very frustrating boundary and make you fight through it all the time. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm not saying Holland's always great at it. Yeah, sometimes I don't think it's what he wants to do at all. A, a lot of these welterweight fights, he's just donking people with big right hands. Sure. Uh, I think he's he's looked a little more like classic Kevin Holland in his last two. Yeah. Probably because Stephen Thompson made his life a living hell. Yeah. But it's, you know, what I'm saying is that, like, he, he likes to make fighters feel like they have to sure. over-pursue and get wild against him. Sure. He, 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 you know, he, he, can present, he can present very much the same challenge that um, Randy Brown did. Yeah. And a fight that was super predictable in that we, we knew Randy Brown was going to be winning until he suddenly wasn't. And that's how it was. He was doing yeah. just fine. He got cornered. 
Kevin Holland, I think, is more durable than Randy Brown. He's much more durable. He is super tough. Um, but I think he's he's equally inconsistent in different ways. Like he is not sure. as high output as Randy Brown. Um, and Kevin Holland, I have to assume, still has a tendency to get tired late in a hard fight. Yeah. Very, um, very easily. I, I would I could imagine that pretty easily here. But the problem is, you know, you just talked about the Randy Brown fight of like, oh, well, we knew Randy Brown would be kind of winning until he wasn't. Yeah. If Kevin Holland is just more durable and can do some of the same things. Sure. Mm -hmm. And last and win two rounds until he gets tired. And he's not going to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. That's that's him winning this fight. You know. Um, yeah, if he doesn't get knocked out at all, if he doesn't get dropped, if, yeah, you know, it, does, it, it, it does feel like a lot to uh, expect of Kevin Holland, <laughs> to be honest, like, but mostly, I mean, mostly he's just been knocking out old men. Yeah. But if he also like, you know, if Della Madalena swarming him and Holland, cause you know, Holland will, he will throw some of the, he will, he will put some of the same shots on Hafez on Madalena that Hafez did. If he can if he can sucker Madalena into pursuing, or just Madalena's going to pursue, because he will. Yep. And we know Holland will be on the back foot. Holland is very good at firing off very hard counter hooks when while being swarmed. Sure. Because he's very durable. And if he can do anything enough to the point that he gets Madalena falling into him at all, then does Madalena just like jump guillotine or pull guard or just tip himself to the mat? I I would like to think that in training, every day in the gym since then, every time Jack Della Madalena has tried to hit a switch or a guillotine, cornermen have just run out onto the mat and started beating him with broomsticks. Yeah, hit no. him with a switch. Uh, what's that? It hit him with a switch. That's right, yeah. Just just snapping his ass with a willow branch. Like, exactly. Absolutely not. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I mean, I, there, there is a version of... Look, if this was the Kevin Holland who fought Joaquin Buckley... Yeah. I would probably pick him based on what I saw in, in Della Madalena's last fight. But even at that time, whether or not you got that version of Kevin Holland was a complete gamble. Sure. And did not always seem all that connected to who he was fighting. He's just a very inconsistent man. He is. And Joaquin Buckley is a particularly easy kind of fighter for him to do that against. Yes. Uh, super predictable timing, much, much smaller, you know, a bunch of different factors that made it and terrible, terrible defense, like a bunch of factors that just made it super easy for him to, to cook him from the long range. Um, I don't even know, like, I almost feel like in your, your feeling about Kevin Holland is like, it's like conflating different eras or different performances of Holland into one guy. And that's yeah. the difficulty with Kevin, because you're like, oh, he's he throws hard counters, 
uh, because he's durable. But if you're talking about the counters he's been throwing at welterweight, they almost unanimously throw him horribly out of position. Sure. Because they're sure, super yeah. overswung shots. And if you're talking about the counters he used to throw at middleweight, like when he fought Darren Stewart and he got backed up to the fence and he's like shoulder rolling and firing uppercuts, does he do that anymore? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just think it's a slightly different version of the uh, Randy Brown fight, but no less inconsistent, no less likely to allow himself to get cornered against concerted pressure. And uh, again, I haven't seen it in a while, but I assume that at a hard pace, uh, Della Maddalena is still going to be there doing, wanting to do terrible things to Kevin Holland long after Holland has gotten sort of tired and bored of the fight. Yeah, it could be. And and again, I, I, I just don't want it to be, it was absolutely a concerning performance against Hafez, but I do not think you can overlook the the short notice elements that he was suddenly in there against a guy with a very different style from what he was prepared for, who is a great athlete and also was just a way tougher and more down for a brawl than any of us imagined. Sure. And that Della Maddalena, in the dumbest possible way, fighting his dumbest possible fight, still won it without question. And I think it was only as stupid as it was because he was caught completely off guard. Yeah, I just wonder. I wonder if, if I mean, that man's face doesn't look the way it does because <laughs> he yeah. has, you know, avoided the heavy shots in the world. Sure. And he's a brawler. He's a brawler, and I I really do wonder if at some point we're going to see that uh, he can't take that style, especially with his lack of wrestling, up to the top of this division. And that even somebody like Kevin Holland, who is wildly inconsistent, but is very durable, and has done a bunch of different things that could work against Jack Della Maddalena mm-hmm. in the past. Even that could be the end point. I mean, if, if you know, if Kevin Holland can get on Della Maddalena's back, mm-hmm. he could probably choke him out. I don't even know if it's fair to say Della Maddalena has a lack of wrestling. Well, he certainly has, a, he had bad, terrible instincts for it, which... Yeah, what happened to him most of that fight is the vast majority of the control um, was because he was stuffing the initial takedowns and then trying to like counter grapple. He had a, yeah. a, a brawler's instinct to that. All three of the actual takedowns in that fight were in round one. After that, any control time at all was the result of Madalena making a stupid panicked decision. Yeah, well, I just think that that could pay or off an over a lot or an overconfident decision. Both of those things, I think, could 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 serve him a lot worse against Holland. Uh, yeah, is Holland not going to take him down? He might. Kevin can't wrestle. He has offensively wrestled before. He's not good at it. Doesn't have to be if if, if yeah, he does. If, Basil Hoffman is going to pull guard on him. Well, he didn't pull guard. He did. He totally dropped for a guillotine. And it yeah, pulled. I just, I just don't. I, I, I just. Uh, Kevin Holland is not a good wrestler. Basil Hoffes is a good wrestler. <laughs> you know, like not that good a wrestler. Basil Hoffes. He's better than Kevin Holland. Are, are we talking about the same Kevin Holland? Kevin Holland. He's got like a forty-one percent takedown accuracy. That's terrible. 
Not terrible. And against who? Was it Gerald oh. Mearshart? Well, he took he took Wonder Boy down. Uh huh. He took Derek Brunson down. Uh huh. He took uh, Charlie Oliveros. That doesn't mean much to him. <laughs> uh huh. And Brendan Allen, uh-huh. and Gerald Mearshart, and John Phillips. That also doesn't mean anything. I mean, I know it's there, but it is not like a potent weapon. Kevin Holland's wrestling. No, but it doesn't have to be a potent weapon if you're going to do what Jack Delamadalena did in his last fight. Yeah, I, I'm not yet going to say that Della Madalena doing that is an absolute certainty. It's not like the man's never been threatened with takedowns before. Uh, he doesn't instantly go for a guillotine against everybody because we'd never seen it before until yeah. that fight when he was drawn into a bunch of really, really hard wrestling exchanges, longer wrestling sequences where he was asked to make a series of decisions in a row under duress against somebody who was surprising him from moment one by taking him down. Uh, and I think just had him off kilter. I, I don't know. I just, I just, I just, I absolutely think that Kevin Holland, there is a version of Kevin Holland in the ether somewhere that can beat Jack Della Madalena. And almost any version of Kevin Holland can give Jack a surprisingly tough fight. If, if for no other reason than that, he's probably just not going to get finished easily. Yeah, but it's hard for me to see Kevin beating Jack. I don't know. I'm not. I'm just not sold off that last fight. And I know you're you're knocking it, talking it all up to surprise. But uh, oh, I, I mean, I think some things were genuinely revealed. But I, I think the things that were revealed are not necessarily things I expect Holland to take full advantage of. Yeah, you know. Again, Randy Randy Brown is a a more consistent range striker than Kevin Holland. Yeah, he's just also like fragile and or more fragile and more like more insistent on his creativity is like the 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 point of his fights. Holland has some of that to him. He definitely does. But he will also do something like in the Michael Chiesa fight where he just puts a palm on somebody's head and lands 10 uppercuts in a row. Sure. He's got a lot more natural meanness to him than Randy Brown does. Yeah, no question about that. Especially welterweight Holland. He likes bullying people. Yeah. I don't know. I think we're seeing competitive first round, likely a Kevin Holland first round. But after that, I kind of think Jack's just going to. He's still yeah. going to be there, and Kevin's going to be like, wait, you're supposed to be dead by now, or broken. Why are you still coming at me? Mm, all right, I'll let you convince me on this one. I'll take Jack Della Maddalena, but I'm, I don't like this turnaround for him. And No, I don't, I don't either. It's just It's been two months since a super hard fight where he had some major problems, and yeah. the difference between Kevin Holland and Basil Hafez is wide it is a massive gulf in terms of high level competitive uh ability and yeah you know experience but just imagine you hadn't seen that fight which is a which is a very particular style test imagine this is jack della madalena coming off of the win over randy brown and then he gets kevin holland yeah then i would be like this is a very i don't know i mean i would 
I would say it's a very it's a very winnable fight. Yeah, I would say it's a very winnable fight at that right. point. I don't think the things we saw against Tafez are specifically concerning in this particular matchup. They are definitely concerning. We learned some things about Della Maddalena, not all of which are flattering, many of which are, are bad signs and make it almost certain that he is going to hit a wall sooner rather than later. I just don't think that Kevin Holland is that wall. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll let you convince me. Holland opened at minus 100. He's currently up at plus 126. Della Maddalena opened at minus 110. And is currently at minus 140. So odds are trending his way. All right, that brings us to a Bantamweight card. Raul Rosas Jr., Terrence Mitchell. And after the utter humiliation of his last fight, the UFC dug up the one Bantamweight on the roster they were sure that Raul Rosas could beat. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Success. Yeah. They did it. I don't even know. Like... (laughs) I know you're supposed to be the one breaking it down, but well, that is my breakdown. Yeah, they found him. His name is Terrence Mitchell. Yeah, this is a dude that I mean, when he got into when, when he was booked for the Cameron Simon fight, his UFC debut, or like this man is not ready to fight at this level at all. Nope. he's been crushing cans on the Alaska regional scene, where purely the fact that he is strong and fast has gotten him all of his wins. Yeah. And he's not even that strong or that fast. Yeah. He's he's, I think he's pretty fast, athlete. actually. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a pretty good fast. enough athlete, but he's not a, you don't look at him and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Like he's a machine. You know, he's got a bunch of, of submissions. So you're like, oh, his grappling game must be pretty good. And then he got in there against Cameron Simon, yeah. went in, darted in, took him down really, really early. Like, oh yeah, he is fast. And then he immediately got out grappled. Yeah, and stuck just, in the guillotine on the first takedown, escaped, and then just proceeded to, to just get, not be able to keep up with all of Simon's threats. Yeah, and Raul Rosas Jr. has a terrible striking game that he may never improve because yep. it appears to have been built into him by a bad MMA gym at an early age. Um but he is a very good grappler. Yeah. I don't and, even know if we, I don't even know if he'll never improve it. It's, you know, well, he's my, certainly my, running the risk of having all these bad habits cemented by being at the UFC level when he really shouldn't be. But yeah, I mean, I don't, it's just one of those games where like, if he gets a good coach, they're going to have to strip his striking down to nothing and yeah. restart it because yeah. he is, uh, short arming all of his punches with the intention that he will be crashing into somebody so fast and so consistently and so Mm -hmm. recklessly that he does not need to have any range tools. And it is something that like, like we already saw, well, when, when somebody can, can stuff enough of your takedowns that you have to fight on the feet, he suddenly has no, striking prepared game prepared for the idea that he won't be crashing into the clinch. Mm -hmm. And that like, if, if he's going to have, if that game, if he's going to survive at this level for long, somebody's just going to have to go in there and be like, no, okay, you don't, you don't know how to throw any strikes. You have to sit down. Here's a one, two, 
Here's a, here's a jab. Here's a low kick. Yeah, save the one-two for later. Here's the yeah. jab. Here's the jab. Here's a low kick. You set the low kick up behind the jab. Don't don't throw the low kick first. <laughs> We're going to work on the right hand at coming after the one-two, and don't run into the person when you throw the right hand. Don't jump at them. Just throw the right hand behind the, the one. This is called a sidestep. We'll get to pivoting yeah. later. Yeah. Well, let's focus on a hook that doesn't doesn't end like have your your fist never go more than four inches away from your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean he is literally a novice, you know. Yeah, and he looks like it. And but he I'll... also he also in that last fight, uh, because it was his first experience having some of the success he wanted and then it just being taken away, he like panicked and gassed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could not handle that pushback because he's never dealt with it before. No, but this this is a fight where his opponent will do all the things he wants to do for him and then he just has to fight his way through it. Like Terrence Mitchell will yeah. just launch himself at Rosas bodily and all Rosas has to do is be like, oh, okay, while well, we're clinched up, I can outscramble you now. I'm going to win. Yep. Pretty straightforward. Really, really straightforward. Rosas is a huge favorite. Opened at minus 538, currently minus 694. Uh, Mitchell opened at plus 420, currently plus 517. I hate to see odds like this for Rosas, honestly, because he is, like, right now, he's Bantamweight Chase Hooper. Mm-hmm. And people should understand, like, that kind of game, it is great for regional MMA. It is great for low-level fights. And the ceiling on it is very low. It is not a... Like, the, the people who who get to the highest levels and excel with that kind of game are doing it with a very smooth, powerful, technical, persistent wrestling game. Mm-hmm. Not a very tricky, fast-paced grappling game. You know? Your Islam Makhachevs and your Khabibs who are, who are excelling with that style, and it's a very different style than the Chase Hooper style and the Raul Rosas Jr. style. Yeah. These are... Their games are like, oh, I'm going to take your back before I even try to take you down. And that is, that's, like I say, it'll win you a lot of low-level fights, but we've already seen the ceiling for him on that. And we've seen Chase Hooper in those fights, too, Mm -hmm. where somebody's like, oh, well, I'm just going to deny you the back take. I'm going to deny you this clinch grappling opportunity from which you might pull me to the mat. And then you're like, oh, my God, this person is going to get slaughtered. So, yeah, I hate seeing him in these odds. And honestly, yeah. I, I worry about this game for the future. Like, I just, you know, how many Terrence Mitchells does the UFC bring in? Because Cameron Simon is not. Well, a to be fair. <laughs> or not, or not Cameron <laughs> Simon, but uh, Christian Rodriguez is not a huge step up. No, no, no. Yeah. Rodriguez is just a middling, but experienced and, and sort of, he is a savvy fighter by nature. Yeah. You know, uh, whereas a, a guy like Terrence Mitchell isn't, but, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, I guess the UFC has a lot more Terrence Mitchells than they used to. They used, to, yeah. I mean, they had Jay Perrin too, who is also just a dude that Raul Rosas can beat. They can find these guys, but yeah. But this is the thing. This is always the difficult thing with a guy like in Rosas' position because, um, he's going to go in there against guys like Christian Rodriguez and be like, "What's happening?" and lose. And then he's going to go in against Terrence Mitchell, and if he can beat him in three minutes, it's exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, and then he's going to have to get a tougher matchup because this is the UFC. Maybe he gets one more walkover and then he gets a tougher matchup. Like it's just, this, it, this is just not the place to be literally developing the foundations of your game. Yeah. Still it's, it's, it, this is not the environment for that. Especially not Bantamweight. No, God, no. Just terrible. Yeah. You want to have like a much, much, much shittier version of Aljamain Sterling's game at Bantamweight? Like, it's a miracle that game works as well as it does in this division. Yeah. Everybody can stop takedowns and everybody hits like a truck. And it's like the best, the best across the board athletic curve of any division in the UFC. Yeah. It's a nightmare world. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not the place for a guy like Roses to be still getting his feet wet. Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight fight. Daniel Zellhuber, Christos Giagos. My boy. My I told you so boy, Daniel Zellhuber. Yeah, yeah, you did. And, uh, I mean, this should just be a very doable fight for him. Mm -hmm. Giagos is um, the, the heart, despite knocking out uh, Ricky Glenn in his last fight, who is mm -hmm. has always offered himself up to be knocked out in that kind of way, and just sort of he basically fights like Sean Strickland, mm -hmm. but at lightweight, where people are much better, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Um. So other than that, Giagos has always been a fighter who like. He does everything, but he really has to be a better wrestler than you to win. That's almost always been the Giagos thing. It's like, oh, yeah, he can strike and he can grapple, too. But the real thing is, if he's not getting his takedowns, he's probably not winning this fight. Right. And, yeah, maybe that... Maybe that's enough of a hole for Zell Hooper, but my guess is that Zell Hooper is just going to be too big yeah, for Jagos to be able to comfortably get in on takedowns and hold down and too long and rangy and will be throwing himself at Zell Hooper enough that Zell Hooper won't have that Ogden freeze where he just has somebody who is, you know, like, no, you go first. It'll be more like the Venata fight where Venata's crashing in a bunch. And you're like, oh, this seems kind of dangerous, but it's actually the kind of consistent engagement Zell Huber needs to keep himself mm -hmm. active. Yeah, just to simply be, to have no choice but to let your shots go. He thrived under those uh, conditions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't really have much to add. I just feel like, yeah, Jagos's game is too limited. There's... Do we look at the numbers? What is the actual size difference here? It's uh, three inches, I believe. Yeah, three inches of height, and the reach has got to be huge. It's uh, six yeah, it and is. a half inches of reach. Six and a, while or being tall. Five I mean, and a half yeah. inches of reach. Yeah. Yeah. 
that is a massive gulf. And if you watch that fight Jago's had with Glenn, yes. like Jago's is basically like I think the the punches he knocked Glenn out with were a lunging in hook and uppercut. Mm-hmm. Like he was basically starting way outside and flying into the pocket where Glenn was standing and waiting. Yeah. And just meeting Glenn first. But you have somebody here who is like, who fights way longer, which Glenn does not fight long at all. No, and, and it's also like fast. Like, yeah, and also even fast. even just to the level of like a normal person, like Ricky Glenn yeah. is the man is slow. Yeah, and you have that, and you're just gonna be. You are going to be. You're always going to be a step behind. Like they're going to meet you from a point that you're, you know, way in on your entry mm-hmm. that you're not prepared for, that you can't can't answer for. So I got to pick Phil Hooper. Yeah, same. Yeah, I just I just think he's going to be able to cook Jagos from range, and mm-hmm. it's going to be too quick to get caught with the silly shit that Jagos tries against anybody who makes him uncomfortable on the feet. And uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's good. And I and I don't I don't know yet if it was entirely the stylistic like the the dynamics against Lando Venata or if it was just Zell Huber sort of um, realizing that he can do that to people. You know, he's a young fighter. He's twenty four years old. Um, yeah. And I think it's no, it's probably, it's likely it's no coincidence that that came right after the Trey Ogden fight where he must've gone back to his camp and been like, well, I didn't like that. Yeah. If I had to have a prospect loss, I'd rather get inverted triangled by some guy. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be not just like sort of stalled out and confused. And he came into his next fight. And yeah, I think part of it was Venata who just gave him a bunch of openings and had to keep pushing a pace that invited, uh, invited return fire. But I think it was also Zell Hooper being like, I'm, I'm not going to lose because I don't land enough shots again. Yeah. I'm just going to go out there and put volume out there. I think it was by far his highest output strike that he's had in the under the uh, UFC banner. Well, he's only had the two. We had the contender series fight, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, it was uh, it was on. Well, his contender series fight was actually really high output. OK. He, he threw 219 strikes in the contender series. Fight. Well, never mind. And he threw 207 against Venata, but only landed 37% of them. Yeah. Um, there you go. So maybe more, more of just a stylistic thing. Yeah. Just getting I, openings. But he's going to get him against Jagos. Exactly. He's just going to get him against Jagos, too. That's really what it is. Yep. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Phil Huber is the favorite over to minus 219, currently down at minus 274. Jagos opened at plus 193, currently up at plus 235. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout that's actually kind of surprisingly hard to call. Uh huh. Fernando Padilla, Kyle Nelson, and uh, yeah. You, yeah, you take it. If I had just seen Padilla's last fight and not seen Nelson's last fight, <laughs> I'd be like, man, this Padilla guy's good. He knows his range. Yeah. He's accurate. He's got power. Um, and, and, you know, I know that he doesn't have to knock everyone out in the first round to beat them. 
Mm-hmm. Granted, he's got a couple of his longer fights that go to split. Yeah. So there is he's, something he's low output. He can be dangerously low, selective and low output. Yeah. But I would probably look at Kyle Nelson as an opponent for that and be like, well, at the very least, he's going to have a hard fight early against somebody who's hitting him on the way in is making him nervous. And then he's going to do the Kyle Nelson thing where he's so tense and so energetic early on that he just falls out of the fight completely. Yeah. And then in his last fight, he reversed the trend of an entire career. Yeah. How much did you enjoy seeing that? It was great. We both love that, right? When we're like, yeah. oh, I have I haven't even written this guy off. It's like this 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 man is like an addendum. Yeah. It, it's an afterthought that I just know how he fights. These problems yes. are completely unsolvable. Um and then he went in there against a Blake Builder, not an easy opponent, at the very yeah. least a, a very powerful and confident young opponent. And Kyle Nelson was the crafty veteran. Yeah. And he kept a he kept a jab in Blake Builder's face. He kept working his body and his legs with kicks throughout the fight. And he fought a very measured, very smart pace. Yeah. And there were a couple moments where it seemed like Builder was gonna kind of like young and dumb his way back into it. And Nelson just kept him contained. Yeah. Uh, largely at range. Which I had no idea he could do. No mm-hmm. idea he had that in him. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't have a strong feeling on, on how it, to call this fight because uh, I could very easily see... I can very easily see Nelson doing classic Nelson things and having some success early against Padilla. He's always had really strong dynamic powerful tools that he absolutely like nelson has had he has great takedowns that he can hit really well and you know like great power double and he has a surprisingly strong boxing and punching game yeah and he hits hard he hits hard he hits clean and you know we've seen him hit a jab even like you know sit sit on a jab a few times and things like that Mm mm-hmm the tools have always been there for Nelson. It's just his ability to stick with them and rely on them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously also just that MMA thing of being a really pretty decent offensive fighter who is a very limited defensive fighter. Yeah. Yeah. But the difficulty is how to marry the earlier approach with the one I just saw in my mind, like what does that actually mean relevant to this matchup? And then, um, sort of like with, uh, Della Madalena and Hafez, uh, but the flip side, how much of how good, uh, Nelson looked in that fight came down to Blake builder having way more confidence than skill. Yeah. Cause that is a huge part of it. Is it builder? Builder has been warming himself up for that loss. I did not think yes. it would come against Kyle Nelson of all yeah, people. No, nobody did. We certainly didn't. Yeah, but he is very clearly been a fighter where you watch him and you're like, you know, you actually don't do a lot. You're very powerful and you're very, uh, you know, he, he's a good wrestler and grappler seemingly and can hit hard, mm-hmm. 
but you watch them and you're like, you don't really commit to a lot that that feels like it's a v- very much value. You know, well, it's like yeah, watching, it's, you, it's watching just... his Shane Young fight. Look, look at the stats of the Shane Young fight because I watched that recently. Because he threw 190 significant strikes in that fight and landed 111 of them. But the memory of that fight is entirely of like a tepid pitter pat range contest. <laughs> and you look at Blake Builder and you're like, you're kind of a bricked up dude. Oh, yeah. Like, why are you having this fight? And yeah. then he goes out there against Nelson and tries to have that fight. And Nelson's just like, well, what if I just like hit you hard consistently? Mm-hmm. And he tried to kind of smudge his way to getting back in by just like walking Nelson down. Yeah, there's a there's a very funny look on Blake Builder's face about midway through round one where he has been putting these combinations and he's landing some like cuffing blows, you know? Yeah, he's catching Nelson like half half blocked shots uh, just by like crashing in while Nelson is shelling up. But nothing too good, but he's clearly his confidence is swelling and then he just keeps, you know, gets into this rhythm and he lines up again and Nelson just hits him with a super clean jab. And there was a look on Builder's face <laughs> of his confidence just absolutely deflating. Yeah. Because he does he has no experience dealing with that. And he has yeah. no notion of um no notion of of getting into range with anything like nuanced. He's not coming in with layers of feints or a threat and then getting to an angle uh, yeah. to then pour in the offense. He is just like I'm going to keep walking forward and get into a rhythm where you just keep waiting for me to come in. And then I throw one of four different combinations when I get there. Yeah. And I keep throwing after you've done whatever you're going to do. What happens if you just line up and just, you know, nail him straight down the middle with a beautiful jab. And then he resets and you kick the hell out of his leg. Yeah. And then you front kick him in the body. And then as the fight goes on, he only has that idea and he's getting more and more tired. It was definitely a, 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 a typical kind of prospect loss. Yeah. But that is as impressed as I was because I, we didn't think Nelson was the guy to hand him a prospect loss. That has to be considered as a major factor of what went down in that fight. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. Bill did not know what else to do. He really didn't. And Padilla doesn't have all the tools that builder has at all no. in terms of like other skills he can go to. He really just kind of boxes yeah but he has a for that a much more sophisticated and yeah and natural boxing game yeah that i think for me i think that might be enough to pick him over kyle nelson yeah because 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 the thing is like what if nelson can stay on and what if he can pressure him but if he does that does he not just go back to having the kyle nelson fight of old yeah in, in which he just even if he's still quite competitive, just looks terrible for the last two rounds. Yeah. And it's hard not to look at like his fight with Jai Herbert. Mm. That he mm. lost. You should be able to out wrestle Jai Herbert, right? Yeah. And just not be like, how did you get stuck losing to Jai Herbert? Like that is a one dimensional boxing game. That's not even nearly as deep a boxing game as the one no. Padilla has. No. And it just offered him a range and persistence that Nelson couldn't deal with. Yeah. And I, 
yeah. Badia has a a a range flexible, uh, l- layered boxing game. Yeah, and five inches of reach on Nelson, and that, yeah, which is crazy because Nelson usually has a height or reach advantage. He's got very long arms. Um, for his height, so the fact that Padilla's, I think he's taller than him too, right? Oh yeah, Padilla's a couple inches taller. Nelson doesn't actually have he, he he's not listed as having long arms at least. Is he but, not? No, he's got a seventy-one inch reach, which you, I mean, you can look at him and see that he, he appears to have long arms. Uh, he's also got a thin, the kind of thin shoulders. Maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe that's it. Not as broad as you'd expect. He looks like he's got very long arms. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, no, he's he's otherwise technically his arms are an inch longer than uh, Ricky Glenn's, and he's yeah. an inch shorter. But Ricky Glenn is like notably short armed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if assuming the measurements are, are are correct, Padilla should have a sizable reach advantage. Yeah, and that's I'm just gonna pick him. Yep. Feels a little more consistent significantly more nuanced than than somebody like builder and i just don't know that nelson can threaten him with the entirety of his game like it feels like he would need to without suffering the same kind of um self-destructive pace that he did in his in his previous in like in his entire career prior to that builder fight the builder fight really i think that was it was kind of a perfect fight for nelson in retrospect where it's just like oh Yeah. yeah this kid it's so used to people. I mean, it even came up in the fight against Shane Young, where it was just like, oh, this guy's not going away. And Builder just kind of ran out of ideas by the end of the fight. Yeah. But Shane Young is so far in his own head that, like, he can't come up with anything anymore. Where Nelson is not, he's at least not that guy. That's never been Nelson's problem. No, it's, no. It's never been, a, oh, I don't know what offense to throw. It's just, yeah, and then yeah, it's still massive credit to Nelson for delivering that performance. Yeah. We did not think he could. Nope. And you could tell he wanted to. Like afterwards, there was like oh, a yeah. massive sigh of relief and pride in himself. Like he knew this is not a Kyle Nelson fight. Yeah, I'm trying to do something smart here, and he did a great job. Padilla opened at minus two fifty two. Is currently minus two forty. Nelson opened at plus two eighteen. Is currently plus two oh nine. We'll be back in just a second for Substack subscribers with a little bit of a look back at last week's card. So if you are subscribed to our Substack, stick around for that. And if you're not, subscribe now, damn it. Don't wait. Uh, Help us out. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, 
the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.